Well, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to read from verse 16, uh, a well-known story, uh, the rich young man. So Matthew 19, verse 16. Before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer briefly. Father, we thank you for your word again. And as we come to study your word together, again we pray for hearts to receive, eyes to see, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher... What good must I do, uh, good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, it goes without saying that when when Jesus appears on the scene, as it were, he causes quite a stir. Uh, We've seen this already as we've gone through the Gospels, that his healings, his casting out of demons... But most of all, his preaching uh, seemed to have gathered great crowds around him. And in chapter 19, it's no different. And we noted last time, we looked at the first part of the chapter. Um, at this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus has moved, begun to move from Galilee to the south. Uh, this is a sort of decisive move, if you like where Jesus is going to end up in Jerusalem and uh, he is going to be uh, where he's going to be killed. So we're in the last phase, of, as it were, of his, his ministry. And as ever, there is a great crowd. Uh, you look at back to verse 2. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And some Pharisees have been in in the crowd, and we saw this last time. Pharisees have come to him with questions. Uh, They haven't really come because they have intellectual questions and problems they want solved. They've come really to test Jesus, to try and maybe trip him up. And perhaps, if if it's bad enough, they can arrest him as a heretic. And so... All of this is is going on. Great crowds are eager to hear Jesus and those who are trying to trip him up and uh, get rid of him eventually. And parents are bringing their children as well. In verses 13 to 15, uh, which we didn't read, uh, 
parents are bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. And uh, we'll not look at that today because we looked at Luke's equivalent passage a couple of weeks ago. But um, here's such a melee of things happening all at once. And it's out of this melee, I think, that this man comes. Comes from out of the crowd, perhaps. And approaches Jesus. And it becomes clear, and if you look at verse 22, uh, this is a, a rich man, an important man. A powerful man, probably known by the Pharisees, that political party, religious political party. Uh, you know, rich people always have friends in high places, don't they? And uh, so he'd be a well-known figure, perhaps, to the crowds. And this man begins a conversation with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have been there? To have a conversation with Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved to have that opportunity to speak to him, to ask him about all these important questions of life? No matter how rich or poor you are, everybody's got questions. And wouldn't you just love to have somebody to talk to about those questions? And wouldn't you love to have had time to speak to Jesus about those questions? The greatest man who has ever walked on the face of the earth. And he was keen to talk about eternal life. And so you see there in verse 16. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's an interesting question, isn't it? He's not just asking about life here and now. But he's asking about life in the light of eternity. He's asking about something. He somehow knew that there was something beyond the here and now. That there's something that he needs to prepare for. That maybe all that he is doing in life is not enough. And he needs to be sure about those eternal questions. And everybody needs to come to face, face to face with that question. What about eternity? I mentioned earlier that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. From Ecclesiastes 3.11. The way God has made us. Everybody has a sense of eternity. Now, you may not be able to know what that is yet. But God has put it there. And everybody has a, a desire. They may suppress it and try to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, as Paul says. And so you've got this thing welling up inside you and you want to press it down and say, I don't want to think about this. I want to think about the here and now. But it keeps welling up and welling up and welling up. And sometimes it just bursts forth and you want to talk about it. And this man comes to Jesus. What must I do? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Such a big question. Maybe you can see yourself in this man. Maybe his question is your question. Is there eternal life? And if there is, can I, have, can I get hold of it? How do I get hold of it? Or maybe you're just a little bit more distant than that. You're, you're, you see yourself in the crowd, as it were, looking at this conversation going on. But you're eager to see what happens. Maybe curious about the question, about the answers. 
And you're open to hear what Jesus has to say about these things. Well, carry on listening. Pay attention. But don't just listen. Be ready to respond to Jesus and what he's got to say. This story, I think, warns us. I'm going to approach this from the point of view of three dangers that could face us as we're asking these big questions. Three ways in which we can deceive ourselves in our spiritual search. And the first danger is this, that being interested in eternal life is, is not the same actually as having eternal life. It's the same like a strange thing. But being interested in eternal life is not the same as having eternal life. So this man approaches Jesus. He wanted to know about eternal life. So he's really keen to find out about it. And I believe he was genuine. I don't think he was testing Jesus or anything. Otherwise, he would not have left sorrowful or sad at the end of this incident. I think he genuinely wanted something out of this. And maybe he'd wrestled with these questions of eternity for a long time. And no doubt he knew about the God who exists. He's a Jew after all. He's brought up in that environment. He knew the commandments, no doubt, as we can see in the text. And he probably sought to order his life accordingly. But there was still uncertainty. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked the questions that he did. And that's often the case, isn't it? There are people who try to live a good life, live an ethical life, live a moral life. But the question still remains, what about eternal life? You you can be a good person, but you still are uncertain about whether eternal life is yours. And how can I know? How can I know if my deeds are good enough? Are they good enough? Will they ever be good enough? And here's this man, a man called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who's had all these crowds following him. And he's been doing these miracles, and he's been preaching these sermons, and he's casting out demons. And he seems to have a measure of the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. And more than that, he speaks with authority. So maybe he's the one with the answers. Maybe he can answer my questions. So he goes to Jesus. Now there's a risk here for this man. And there's a risk here for us as we come to Jesus today. Because some people will ask the question, what must I do to have eternal life? But maybe assume that because they're asking the question, maybe they've got it. Because they're Thoughtful people. Careful. They think spiritual thoughts. And they think, therefore, they have eternal life. So interest in eternal things is in itself eternal life. But I need to say to you, having an interest in eternal life is not the same as having eternal life. Being interested in it is not the same thing. When you're a child... You often get asked what you're going to be when you grow up. What would you like to be when you grow up? And I'd be not wanted to be all sorts of things. An astronaut, Formula One racing driver, uh, 
a soldier, um, a sailor, you know, all kinds of weird things. Not a minister, certainly. <laughs> but we all have these ideas. But just wanting to be an astronaut doesn't, never made me an astronaut. Wanting eternal life doesn't give you eternal life. Not yet. I wonder what your concerns are this morning. Maybe you've come here this morning with a strong desire for eternal life. And uh, you have big questions about life and eternity. And you're thinking to yourself, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have this eternal life? And those feelings themselves are, are important, but they're not enough. They're not enough. They're not signs that you have salvation yet. And go, I, I need to go further as well and say that they may be dangerous. Because you recognize that you have a desire for it. You discuss things with your friends. You may even have a reputation for being a deep thinker about things. And you may have honest doubts. I'm not sure about these things, but I think deeply about them. And because of all this, you think to yourself, I'm a, I'm a religiously minded person. Maybe I do have salvation after all. I've met loads of people like that. You think they have salvation. They go to church. They have honest doubts. They're not sure about so many things. But because they go to church and they have a spiritual interest, they're saved. Maybe that's you this morning. But I need to say to you, you're not saved if, just because you come to church. It's like putting on your astronaut suit. To make you international, it doesn't make you an astronaut. It's only part of the thing. You're, of course, if you're an astronaut, you have to put a suit on eventually. There's more to being an astronaut than that. There's more to being a Christian than simply coming to church. So those inner feelings of interest and sympathy towards religion or the Bible are not a sign that you have eternal life yet. You see, this man came to Jesus with questions, but he went away empty-handed. And you may come to Jesus with big questions. You may come to Jesus with desire, but you still have that deep sadness, a deep unrest of soul. And you haven't yet got eternal life. So being interested in eternal life is not the same as having eternal life. Secondly, here's second danger. Um... And I'll state it in a second, but the point is this, that getting eternal life is a spiritual work. Getting eternal life is a spiritual work. The danger here is believing that it isn't a spiritual work, that it's something that you do. See, you notice the man's focus of attention here. He is concerned about what he needs to do, what good deed he needs to do, to obtain eternal life. He's concerned about doing good deeds, as though good deeds were his ticket into heaven, into eternal life, so that he might go into heaven when the time comes. Why? Because he can look at his ticket of good works, and he can say, I've qualified. And Jesus appears to be going along with him. So you look at verse 17... And he says this, If you would enter life, keep the commandments. 
He said to him, which ones? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus lists the commandments of God here. Uh, now, there are, these are the Ten Commandments. Two, some of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy 5 uh, lists all the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Decalogue, uh, the Ten Words of God. And it splits into two tables, if you like. The first table is four commandments to do with our relationship to God, who we're to worship, how we're to worship, when we're to worship. And the attitude we're to have with God, about God. And the second table, uh, commands 5 through to 10, are all about how we relate to other people. Uh, love your father and mother, honor your father and mother and so on. And Jesus lists five of those six in the second table. So all those commands to do with other people, Jesus lists five of them here. And then he gives that summary command You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is not one of the Ten Commandments, but summarizes the the whole of the law, uh, the law, that table of the law from Leviticus 19.18. Now you can just imagine Jesus listing those commandments and the man, the young man talking to Jesus with his kind of notional list of commandments and ticking them off as Jesus lists them. Yeah, I've done that, done that, yeah, done that. I do that. And he thinks to himself, all of these things I have kept. And the truth is, nobody could bring an accusation against him. He's able to say in public, I've kept all the commandments. And there's nobody there who's going to say, no, you haven't. (laughs) I remember the time when. Uh, He's he's tried. He's an upright man in many ways. And he thinks he's done it all and therefore he's got eternal life now many people think that way Uh, I've I've lived my life well I've helped other people, I give money to charity and to friends who are in need, I I do all kinds of things for other people I've been faithful in my marriage, I haven't stolen from anyone Um, you know and even if I've fallen down on some of these things it wasn't my fault it's probably somebody else's fault and you know I'm the victim. (laughs) Uh, So you can think to yourself, well, I must be saved. This is how people work with their moral code. Whatever moral code you have, everybody has one, and everybody thinks they keep it. But let me ask you a question. How do you think the Ten Commandments are supposed to work? How do you think they're supposed to work? Especially as you think about eternal life. How are the Ten Commandments supposed to operate in you? Do you see the Ten Commandments as a kind of ladder that you climb up to get to heaven? And so by by keeping the commandments you enter into heaven? Well, remember Jesus' teaching. If you remember back to chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. And he expounds the Ten Commandments, at least parts of it. And he goes through them. 
And as he goes through them, he doesn't just deal with the externals. You know, have you committed adultery? No. But have you lusted after a woman that's not your wife? Jesus begins to apply the law in a very searching way into the heart. See, it's more than just the externals. More than just having a good reputation with outsiders. It's actually about how your heart works. And the sins in the heart. So it's not, it's not good. It's not enough just not to murder anyone. Which for most people is fairly straightforward. <laughs> but it's more difficult not to hate someone. Or to bear a grudge against someone. Which is internal, isn't it? And to hold grudges against your neighbors or your or family members or uh, colleagues. And to bear those hatreds in your own soul. Jesus says that that's, it's like murder. And it's not enough to say, you know, I've been faithful in my marriage. If you're spending all your time, all your spare time when nobody's looking, lusting after other women. And in your heart, you're just indulging yourself. And I'm sure women have the same opposite problem. But you see, the command is spiritual. It's not just about the externals. It's about, it probes your heart. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews says in in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does. It goes deep into the heart. And so it serves as this, this spiritual function of penetrating into the deepest recesses of the soul. And this is how you know that God is at work in your life, is that God's word word is not just an external written code for you, but it's actually in here. That it has probed you, and it continues to probe you, and search you out. So, the word of God is kind of like a scalpel, you know, the surgeon uses a scalpel to cut into, into the body to do surgery. And that's what the Word of God does. It's kind of like a surgical instrument to expose the rottenness of our hearts so that we can be truly saved. The law of God is to perform this spiritual ex- exploration and diagnosis of the heart But this man that comes to Jesus has not yet known this kind of surgery on his own soul. You see, the truth is that when someone is is convinced that eternal life is dependent on outward doing of things and ignoring the spiritual, this is the kind of righteousness that is only ever skin deep. And it's only ever a veneer. And it's on the surface. And it doesn't actually take much to scrape away the surface. To get to the truth. And it doesn't take a long time before that veneer is dropped and reality comes through. Just think about what you're like at home. 
you know, you, you can be lovely here, but you could be a really nasty person at home, couldn't you? With your kids, with your wife, your husband. And all the rottenness of the heart comes out. I wonder what you like. And it doesn't take much, I think, for Jesus to put his finger on this particular man's problem. And I wonder if you notice what, those of you who know your Bibles well, you know there's a command missing out from the second table. It's the command, do not covet. Do not, this is where you have a desire for something or someone else, uh, else's possessions, their wife, their husbands, uh, whatever they have, you have a desire to have it instead, you know, from them. Why does Jesus not mention that in the list? Well, watch what Jesus does now with this man. He probes now with another statement. Again, the fine scalpel of his words. And he opens up this man's heart for all to see by, by saying, making this statement, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. So what command do you think Jesus is getting at here? He's getting at that command that he covets possessions and things. That no matter how much he has, he always wants more. That's his problem. And it's revealed by the fact that this man will not let anyone touch his wealth. So Jesus says, sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and come and follow me. And he, he doesn't. He says, he goes away sad, because he has many possessions. And he loves his wealth. He's accumulated it, he's worked hard for it, maybe. He wanted more of it. And he wanted to live a good life. And he was interested, maybe concerned about eternal life, and he was outwardly good, but inwardly, this thing had a hold on him, his possessions. He had a God. The God of possessions. An idol. Now this, this idea of coveting, it's, it's an interesting sin in, amongst all the commandments because it's quite hard to see simply by looking at someone that they're coveting things. It's, it's an inner sin, isn't it? Having possessions itself is not a sin. But wanting them and desiring them and making them the center of your life is a sin. And it's quite difficult to tell if somebody's got a covetous heart and has this inner desire for more. But there is one way that you can tell, and Jesus puts his finger on it. He says, why don't you just get rid of some of it, or all of it? Why not give it away? What's your reaction to that then? And you suddenly see that this man didn't want a spiritual law. He just wanted an external law. He didn't want the spiritual work to be done. He wanted eternal life on his own terms. And he went away sad. So being interested in in eternal life is not the same as having eternal life. Getting eternal life is a spiritual work. But the third danger here is, is that idols... Idols destroy the soul. 
And we get to the, the heart of the issue for this man, that for all his desire for salvation, for all his outward show of doing the right thing, at heart there was something else that took prime place in his life. All his wealth. He was an idolater. And you look more closely at it, you see what was the primary concern of the man. Well, he's, he's only concerned about what he should do. What was Jesus' concern? Well, we get an idea of it from verse 17. Because he moves from the what to the who. Did you notice that? He moves from the what to the who. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's speaking about God. And he leads, he leads, therefore, to that central question in verse 21. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. This is the central question. Will you come and follow me, says Jesus? Will you put aside all your idols? Will you destroy them? And come and follow me. Will you put aside all your good intentions? Put aside all your goodness. Put aside all your good works. All your prayer saying. Anything that you might think will give you some sort of influence with God. Will you put all of that aside and come and follow Jesus? I say that to you this morning. Are you willing to put it all aside? To make Jesus Christ the center of your life. And respond to that question. Will you follow me? See there's only one who is good. And he's found in Jesus Christ. He's only, the only one who's good. The only one who could perfectly keep the law. Externally and internally. He, he, he kept it fully and completely. The perfect man. Yet God is at the same time. He is the only one qualified to enter into heaven by his works. But also the only one who is qualified to be the ransom to pay for the sins of his people. And therefore he is the only hope of getting into heaven. And therefore he says to everybody, will you follow me? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. He invites us to follow him, to put our trust in him. And whoever comes to him, he will never turn away. He never turns you away. But this man went away sad. And he hung on to his possessions. The things that he really loved. And Jesus knew it. He hung on to those possessions. And he still had his questions. He was still probably confused. He still had his reputation with others. But an idol ruled his life. And he went away sad. What about you this morning? Are you holding on to anything? Is there one untouchable thing that you will not let go of under any circumstances? 
other items, other activities? Are there people in your life that come between you and Jesus Christ? And are you in the habit of saying you can have this much of my life but no further? Because this part is private for me? That private thing is your idol. The thing you do not want God to touch or Jesus Christ to touch. And those idols will ruin you and destroy you. There's only one way to gain eternal life. And it's summarizing the hymn that we're about to sing. Rock of Ages. And one of the verses goes, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Stained by sin, to you I cry. Wash me, Savior. Or I die. That's how you come to Jesus. You come to him. And he washes you clean. And you come with nothing. Leave all behind. Come to Jesus. And find that he washes you clean. And you're never the same again. And he loves you. With an everlasting love. So three dangers. Being interested in eternal life is not the same as eternal life. The danger of believing that eternal life is your work by doing things. Third danger, the idols you hang on to will destroy you. And the answer to all of those is, give them all up, go to Jesus. Fly to him, follow him, and find eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus And how his word is like a scalpel to our souls. Performs surgery on us. We pray that amongst us here today. There would be some who would come to know Jesus for the first time. And for those of us who who already know him. Father we pray you'd help us to identify. uh, Aspirations and desires that are. uh, Take us away from Jesus. That are becoming idols to us. We pray you'd help us to kill them. For Jesus sake. Amen.